so we've been doing these risk-taking testimonies. So not all fall down, drop dead, raise the dead, blind eyes opening and deaf ears opening. But that's not the testimonies that we're focusing on. It's us stepping out, out of our comfort zone, taking risks, because that's where God meets us. So every Sunday I've been reading testimonies that have been coming in, and I really appreciate it. And keep them coming in. Keep taking risks and keep sending them to me because I want this to become the culture of our congregation. And so let's see. Let's just keep trying to one-up each other each week. How about that? So listen to this one from Peter Basil. Pastor John, I have been really considering and thinking about my duty to witness. And no small, small, well, it's really been on my mind the past day or uh, so to eliminate distractions and focus on eternal things. Last week, for some unknown reason, I started to think about my thesis professor back at Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, from which I graduated in 1990. I looked online to see if I could find Professor Moose, but didn't get any hits. Now, he probably shouldn't be hard to find, right, Professor Moose? He was a really smart, good guy, and from whom I learned much, but I saw him last in June of 1990. Fast forward to this past weekend, which is just last weekend, where you read Rick Higgins' testimony about being faithful while traveling. That resonated with me because I travel a lot for work and want to be used by the Lord when I'm on the road. It's a silent prayer that is always in my head. Well, this morning, Monday, just this last Monday, I caught a 7 a.m. flight up to San Jose for work. I went to the restaurant in the airport and sat down and ordered my eggs and coffee at the bar. I broke open my computer to get some work going, and a man sat down next to me. I turned and looked at him, and he stared back at me. And I looked again, and again, and again. And I said, Professor Moose? <laughs> and he said, yes, I am. And, and Peter writes there in all caps, shut the front door. <laughs> is that amazing see god's working with us family my thought at that moment was is this really happening and yes it really was so i introduced myself gave him my card reminded him of who i was and the project i worked on with him we reconnected very nicely shared a lot of memories from the school in monterey he is 80 now during this time i could only think that the only reason i was there was to speak of the Lord in some way, somehow. This was not some random happening, but I found myself tongue-tied and struggling to find out what to say or how to say it. Then I asked him where he was going, and he, his eyes got red, and he said, well, our family's going through a really tough time. My daughter's in Seattle. She's 60 years old and has endocrine cancer, a very aggressive one, and I'd be surprised if she makes it to November. And that was my cue. I said, Professor, I'm a Christian, and I pray, and I believe in healing prayer. And I'm going to pray for your daughter. He was very touched. He said he really appreciated the prayer and that his daughter would love hearing about the chance meeting and would love being prayed for as well. I wish I could tell you I led him to receive the Lord in that instant, but I can't. I just testified as best as I could, and I will pray and rely on the Lord for the rest. Our Lord, who answers stupidly big prayers, is on duty. Amen? Amen. How awesome is that? And so I'm expecting a follow-up testimony as he and Professor Moose reconnect, and Peter hopefully leads him to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yeah, yes. Yes, let's do that. Way to go. I love a praying house. 
Jesus, we lift up uh, Professor Moose's daughter. And Father, you are bigger than endocrine cancer. We pray for a miracle in her body in the name of your son, Jesus. We pray heaven come to the earth right into her body, right into those cancer cells. And Lord, kill those cells and bring new cells into her body that will rejuvenate her body and her immune system, raising her white blood count, God. Heal her as a testimony. As your son Peter stepped out, Lord, meet him right there and do a miracle in her life. And we pray for Professor Moose, God, that he would get saved, that he'd give his life to your son, and that we would see him in heaven because Peter stepped out and you met him there. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Chris. Let's welcome Chris Tower, the greatest announcer on the planet. couldn't find my Bible, and it was like one of those dreams you have, you know, where you're going to school and you're not prepared. I found it. I'm opening my message this morning with that video because that is what we are like in the body of Christ. We all are spiritually handicapped, and we need to help one another stand and cross the finish line. And one of the worst things that happens in the earth but more so in the body of Christ, is when we judge one another rather than encourage one another and cover one another with grace. And that's what Romans chapter 14 is all about. So I want us to read Romans chapter 14 and through 15 to verse 7. It takes like three minutes to read. I want us to get this full, this full mouthful of what the Holy Spirit is saying to us through the Apostle Paul of what it means to be a Christian congregation who walks in love and grace with one another. Amen? So here we go. Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 1 through 15, 7. Receive one another. I'm going to wait until it comes up here on the screen. Just about there? Here we go. All right. Receive one one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. I have to tell you before I continue reading that, just so you're in context, there were Jews and there were Christians in the Roman church. And there was a debate over whether they should be eating meat that was offered to idols or eating meat at all or drinking wine or 
what holidays they should be celebrating. The Jews were bringing a lot of these Old Testament rituals and, uh, and laws into the New Testament that the non-Jews knew nothing about. All they knew about was the grace of God. So there was a, there was a, uh, a debate in the church and there was judgment going on and criticism going on in the church. So Paul is writing to the New Testament church, which we are, about these things. Wine, meat, and special holidays. And so that's the context of this letter. Verse 4. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lives again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us shall give account to himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause of, uh, to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which we may edify one another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not a faith is sin. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comforts of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. I'm calling this message House United. I'm stealing that title from a book that I'm reading right now called House United. How can a house be united? How can a country be united? How can a 
household be united? How can a sports team be united? How can a church be united when we're all so different? And we all hold such different convictions and different perceptions. And yet Jesus said a house divided cannot stand. So I want us to look today at three things we must do to maintain the unity. Are you ready? All right, point number one. We must accept one another just as God has accepted us. Let's look again at uh, chapter 14, verse 1, and verse 5, 7. Chapter chapter 14, verse 1. Receive one. Everybody say receive. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. And then chapter 15, verse 7, which was the last verse we read. Therefore, say it again, receive one another. Just as Christ, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Let me ask you this. How did Jesus receive you? Right where you are. Do you know, I've given you the testimony of my new friend Lorena, who cuts my hair at Supercuts, who, as you have heard recently, that we had a power encounter, and God just whammied her at Supercuts, and now her husband, she and her husband uh, have come to my home, our home, and I've given him a Bible. Bible study was last week. Uh, Lorena brought her husband. He doesn't speak English, so I had to find, um, I, I, I reached out to a church in Ramona. I thought, I need to find a bilingual Christian who can help me interpret for Lorena's husband about the gospel. Uh, and so I called uh, a church up in Ramona, and he gave me the name of somebody. And I'm thinking, it's got to be the right person. They got to be a Christian. They got to be bilingual. And they, they can't like freak out about this power encounter. <sighs> I will call you next time. One of our, one of our Hispanic members was going, oh, 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 oh. Remember Horshack? Oh, oh. That was a long time ago. Anyway. Who remembers Horshack? Raise your hand. Come on. Three, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten people. All right. And so they need to be Christian. <laughs> Completely lost your attention now. Now you're Googling Horshack. Okay. Christian, uh, bilingual, and they can't freak out about a power encounter because that's what brought Lorraine into the kingdom of God. And so he gives me a contact. I call the guy. And so when I, I gingerly brought up what happened at Supercuts. And he said, oh, we need to see a lot more of that going on. I said, yes. I said, now, don't you go down to this church down here that doesn't believe in that? He goes, yeah, but they don't know what I believe. I said, I said, I said well, your pastor must have known something because he connected you with me. He goes, no, he has no idea. And he goes, I've been watching these videos online of these prophets and these power encounters. Man, we need more of that. I want more of that in Ramona. I said, wow, that's amazing. So he came over, her husband came over, and her, her husband gave his life to the Lord. Isn't that awesome? So the next step is to get them water baptized. And then she said, his name's Juan. She looked at me, she said, there are a lot of wands out there. She said, we know a lot of wands. And I said, why don't you throw a party and I will show up. For real, we're putting it together. There's a whole harvest field. 
of wands out there in Lorena's that we're going after. But how did Jesus receive you? See, the reason Lorena never came to the Lord is because she thought she had to stop cussing and smoking. And when I said, you know, when I finally brought her to the point, right to the line, you need to receive the Lord, she said, okay, but I'm not going to stop cussing. And I said, well, you don't have to. Because what I believe is once she receives the Holy Spirit and starts to grow in the things of the Holy Spirit, all these peripheral things go away. And holiness begins to take a hold of her. That's why it, it happened with me. That's what, it's an inside job. And she said, nobody's ever told me this before, that I come just as I am. I said, well, that's the gospel. So that's how she came to the Lord. How did Jesus receive you? Did he have a little list of things and hoops you had to jump through and, and rungs of the ladder you had to climb up before he received you into his kingdom? No. See, receiving one another, when you receive somebody, you're not receiving what they believe. You're receiving them as a human being. This would be like a Democrat receiving a Republican into their home. This would be like a legal citizen welcoming an illegal citizen into their home. This would be like someone who believes in vaccinations receiving someone who does not believe in vaccinations into their home. This would be like a homeschooler receiving a public schooler into their home. This would be somebody who believes in socialized health care welcoming in somebody who does not believe in socialized health care. And I'm not kidding. Receiving one another is different than receiving each other's belief systems and personal convictions. These are the things that divide us and destroy us. Look at Luke 15, verse 2. And the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders of Jesus' days, the church leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes complain, saying, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. You see, the Pharisees separated themselves from those who did not live up to their spiritual standards. God dove right smack into the mess of our human brokenness and received sinners. Did he he endorse their behavior? No. Love is not permissiveness. Love is unconditional love for the human being. And once people know that you love and accept and receive them just as they are, you just might have a shot at influencing them toward holiness and toward their destiny in God. Spiritual maturity is receiving those who differ from you. Spiritual maturity is receiving those who differ from you. Do you know it's interesting in the context of this passage, we usually equate those who are spiritually mature with those who have the standards in their lives that equate to holiness. When actually in this context, in this passage, this passage, the weak believers were the ones with the most rules. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. The weak believers are the ones that only eat vegetables. And the other ones are eating meat because they had liberty and freedom. Isn't that interesting? We usually flip that around. You see, the weak think that the the mature are being careless by drinking wine and eating meat and, and not keeping certain holidays holy. 
But then the strong can be smug and prideful and flaunt their liberty to prove that I'm not religious and offend and cause the weaker believer to stumble. Demain in our own rights and our own ways. You won't put that religious trip on me. But how about the fact that you are causing your brother or sister to stumble? That is why it's critical that we must, number two, unify around majors and not minors. None of the things that Paul discusses in this chapter are right or wrong within themselves. That's why he says all things are pure. He's not talking about sexual immorality is pure. He's not talking about gross sin that's lying or cheating or stealing. These things aren't pure. He's talking about, in context here, debatable things, he says in verse 1. The things that are debatable, the thing, hmm, I wonder, I wonder about this, this fitting into the culture of Christianity. I'm going to be preaching next week at a church here in Poway. It's an Indian congregation. Many factions from India, many castes from India. There's 20,000 Indian believers in San Diego County. I just had lunch with uh, the pastor, uh, has the only Indian church in San Diego, and he says there's 20,000 Indians in San Diego. I said, man, that's awesome. They should just be flooding your church. He said, well, there's five different languages spoken in my church alone. And they all come from different castes within the Indian culture when they come from India. And each caste has their own culture, their own do's and don'ts, allows and disallows. He goes, so it's, it's like, he goes, I, I'm offending people. I offend my own Indian people because they're from a different caste and a different culture from my own country. He goes, I'm constantly dancing around landmines. I said, that is so interesting. It was a very interesting conversation. And I said, well, we better all focus on Jesus. Then he said, that's my message. <laughs> that's why we must learn to major on majors, not on minors. Major on majors, not on the minors. You see, what we're going to discover in a few minutes is there's a major difference between personal, uh, personal convictions and personal preferences and biblical absolutes. And we need to gravitate toward the majors, not the minors. This is how we have a unity movement among the churches in this region. I've been part of it for 20 years. I mean, how does a Presbyterian and a Lutheran and a Methodist and a Baptist and a Charismatic and a Church of Christ, how do we all pray together, eat together, love together, cry with each other, save each other's um, calling when we want to quit the ministry? I mean, how did that happen? Because when we began praying together, all of our differences started falling away, which are minor And our majors started becoming the focal point, which is Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom. And we have become best friends. We love each other. We've learned from each other. I'm a much better pastor today because I have a Baptist pastor and a Methodist pastor and a Lutheran pastor and a Presbyterian pastor that are friends of mine. They have taught me so much about the kingdom of God and about shepherding well and about vision and about all sorts of things. I remember one of our first times we decided let's all go up in the mountains and pray and fast together for two days and we all got in the van some you know senior pastors from this region we all go up to uh Idlewild and we're fasting and praying and we're in this we're in this room and we're all praying and finally this one baptist pastor just blurted out lord i don't want to speak in tongues <laughs> isn't that great 
because he had met some tongue talkers that were normal, I think. I mean, he thought. Normal. They weren't these, you know, demon-possessed blah, 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 people that you have the, the figment of your imagination and what you've been taught is that speaking of tongues is of the devil. And so then he felt the freedom. Okay, he obviously came into himself to realize my personal preference, my personal conviction must be wrong because I know him and he's a real Christian and he really loves God and he really loves God's people, but he speaks in tongues. So it's just it's messing with his theology. That's why he was able, obviously, he came to a place where he realized, my theology is not right, but I'm not comfortable with this. And he just blurts out, I don't want to speak in tongues. It was such honesty, such transparency, and it unified us. Because I received him as the non-tongue talker, and he received me as a tongue talker, and we met right with Jesus smack in the middle of us. Amen? That's why he says in verse 5, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. You see, personal convictions are private property. Personal convictions are private property. It's like this. The way I see it, it's like in a neighborhood. You see a block neighborhood. And there's a sidewalk that goes around the entire neighborhood, right? So that's the outer boundary. And those are what I call biblical absolutes or biblical commands. They're non-negotiables. We're going to look at a few of them in just a moment. Everybody in the neighborhood, we'll call this a Christian neighborhood, everybody in the neighborhood all agree on the boundaries of the neighborhood. But within the, that boundary, there are fences, little fences in between each buddy's personal property. And everybody can do with their yard what they want to do with their yard. The grass can be really tall, the grass can be short. You can have the roses the way you like them or no roses at all. But it's when we look over each other's fences and say, hey, buddy, you know, your grass really should be two inches tall. That's the best. That's what God wants, right? See what we do? We drop the God card on a personal preference or a personal conviction. You do know there are Christian Democrats and Christian Republicans. You, you know that, right? I mean, I, see, see, some of you right now don't believe that. It's when we go stamping around in one another's gardens that we hurt and offend one another and we separate over minor things rather than focusing on the major things. You see, here's the truth. In essentials, in essential beliefs, we have unity. There's one body, one spirit, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all. And non-essential things, non-essential beliefs, we have liberty. Accept Him who is weak in the faith. We just read this. Without passing judgment on disputable matters. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Whew. Hoping I say this to each other often. If we see somebody doing something, especially a leader in the kingdom of God, because we're leaders, so we really care about the way the kingdom of God is represented in the earth, and we try to do it the best we can with the way God has given us, and then we see somebody else do it in a way we would never do it, and one of us will beat, one of us will beat the other one to the punch. Not my servant. Not my servant. I will not be judging that brother or sister on judgment day. I got my own judgment <laughs> I got to be looking for, and so do you. Now, it's not a judgment of sin. It is a discernment, a judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, which we read. Every single one of us are going to stand before Jesus. 
at the bema seat of Christ, and he was going to take an assessment of our life after we came to Christ and how we lived our life for him. I love what Bella said to me yesterday. We were talking about fear and how fear stinks. And she said, you know, you only get to live every day one time, and it's a waste to live that day in fear. Woo! Mufasa. I was like, ooh, say that again. Man, that was good. To his own master he stands or falls. So then let each of us give an account of God to himself. So whatever you believe about these things, keep it between yourself and God. If you have a personal conviction, keep it to yourself. If you have judgment in your mind about somebody else's personal conviction, mind your own business. It's pretty much what he's saying here. And then in all of our beliefs, we have love. If I hold in my mind, 1 Corinthians says, not only all human knowledge, but also the very secrets of God. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but have no love, I amount to nothing at all. This is good stuff, isn't it, Mark? Good stuff. So I made this little diagram so we can see what I'm talking about here. And you can't see that, can you? I say this little diagram, this very little diagram, one of the downsides to running to school is you can't test run certain things. Okay, so if you have your binoculars with you, your telescope, in the center, okay, I got to go over here because this is where, okay, so does anybody have a laser pointer? Mark, you always have a laser pointer. No? All right. Okay. So I'm going to come over here. In the center, we have Jesus. I'm going to come over here. In the center here, that's Jesus. Jesus is who we and what we agree on. Can everybody just say Jesus? Jesus. I love this. I know this conference one time. The name of the conference was Just Give Me Jesus. I love that. And then the next rung out are biblical absolutes. Things like Jesus is the only way uh, to heaven. Jesus, we believe in Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. We also believe in his uh, uh, soon return. We also believe in the virgin birth. These are biblical absolutes that are non-negotiable. We believe in heaven and hell. Non-negotiable truths that we don't debate about in Christendom. Then the next rung out is biblical commands like sexual purity. That is reserving uh, your sexual activity until marriage. That's a non-negotiable. It's a biblical command. Forgiveness. It's a biblical command. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Biblical commands. These are non-negotiables. We unify around that sidewalk that goes around our neighborhood. And I don't know what just happened to that. But I like this. That's very cool. Did I do something? Can you fix that? You're just staring at me. I don't know if we're, if this is, hello? Okay, so the next rung out is respected interpretations. I say respect, woo! Let's give this out, the media team a hand. Respected interpretations. I would say respected because there is heresy, which is the denial of the biblical absolutes that we talked about. 
respected interpretations such as pre, mid, and post-tribulation. In other words, some believe that Jesus is going to come back before the seven years of tribulation on earth. Some believe he's going to come back three and a half years into the seven years of tribulation. Some believe he's going to come back after the seven years of tribulation. And all can be proven by Scripture. And man, I mean, all eschatology, which is end-time theology, is a guessing game. And we divide over these things. We get out our big charts and our maps. And then like this one preacher one time said, he, he preached his, his uh, eschatology and he said, and if this doesn't happen this way, then Jesus is not Lord. He mixed his personal conviction, his personal interpretation with a biblical absolute, which is the Lord's coming back. Are you ready? That's the major. The minor is, when is he coming back? Which Jesus even said he doesn't know. Can everybody say hello? Jesus said only the Father knows when the Son's going to return, and yet we have all of our maps and charts about when he's coming back. Wow. And then we have our personal convictions, and this is where the majority of our problems lie, right here. Most of us in Christianity believe Jesus is Jesus. We believe he's the only way. We believe in biblical commands that are very plain in Scripture. We have respected, we respect each other's interpretations like the gifts of the Spirit being for us today, like my, my friend wasn't sure about the speaking in tongues, but I believe in speaking in tongues. We respected each other's interpretations of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we're still friends. It's right here is where we get in trouble. We take the outer rung of personal convictions, personal preferences, opinions, feelings, and cultural norms, and we place them right here in the center and say, this is what we agree on. And that's crazy talk. And that's what Paul's talking about here. It was ripping apart the, Ro the, the Roman church because some were having a glass of wine with dinner. There are churches in America that believe it is a sin for the devil's brew to touch your lips, is what they call it. And they have a, I would think, a really hard time explaining why Jesus provided 900 bottles of wine at a wedding. <laughs> but because their personal conviction, per, everybody say personal conviction. Because their personal conviction comes from their respected interpretation, which, honestly, I don't respect that one much, but because there's too much scripture, but, oh, I just sinned. Okay. The respected interpretation of that is, you see, this is, it was grape juice that Jesus provided non-fermented juice. The problem is, the master of ceremonies said, why has the best wine been saved till last? And I think Jews know their wine. They know how to throw a party. Look, the weddings go for seven days. They just look for reasons to celebrate. Now, does this con condone drunkenness? Absolutely not. That is a biblical command. Do not get drunk with wine. It's very clear the drunkenness is a biblical command. Do not get drunk. 
but you cannot find a biblical command that says you can't have a glass of wine. And so these folks that had the liberty to have a glass of wine and eat a little bit of filet mignon, and then there's other Christians in the church that were deeply offended because they truly thought it was sinful. And so those who had the liberty to drink a glass of wine were like, well, I'm going to drink it anyway. You can't tell me what to do. You've got a religious spirit. And the other brother or sister was offended and hurt, and they were confused. Like, I don't understand because I got saved. I got saved out of the world, and I, I, I left alcohol behind, and you're, you're drinking a glass of wine, or, and it confuses them. So what is the loving thing to do? Do not drink in front of them. Do not eat meat in front of them. The Apostle Paul, not to offend, shaved his head and took a vow. Because he was going to go into a Jewish town when he wanted to lead them to Christ. And he, didn't, he did not want to make them stumble. He said, I've become all things to all men so that some might be saved. You see, love is the point. For us, it could be meat or vegetarian. It could be wine. It could be certain holidays. Movies is a big one. X-rated movies, obviously biblical, biblical command, sexual purity. But what about, like what this one pastor said to me, I have committed to the Lord never to watch an R-rated movie. And I was thinking, I was wearing the circle of the pastors, and he like bolts this out. And I was thinking, that sounds like a personal conviction, but he's making it sound like a biblical command. And then when the Passion of the Christ came out, I thought, what's he going to do with that? That's sinful. He didn't say that, but of course... If he maintained his personal conviction, you see, I believe most of us, if I were to ask something you believed 10 years ago, you don't believe that anymore. We fight over vaccinations, health care, political affiliations, dancing, movies. These are all negotiable, debatable matters. And the truth is, Biblical commands do not submit to cultural norms, but cultural norms must commit to biblical commands, submit to biblical commands. Because our biblical commands is the kingdom culture. It's the culture of heaven superimposing itself upon the culture of this world. So we need to discern what is biblical commands and what are personal preferences. So that we can be unified as Christians in the earth, while we're in a worldly culture, they don't see us fighting over debatable things. But rather we are agreeing over biblical absolutes. I used to have two elders on staff. I just have one now. And I called a fast. And one of my elders believed that the only righteous fast was water. Period. That's his only definition of fasting. And so the elders team came together at his home to fast and pray and seek the Lord. So I show up and the brother that's hosting it, is he's the one that drinks only water. That's the only true fast. And we're in there. And my other elder shows up with a milkshake. I won't mention his name, Mark. It was bad. It was Romans chapter 14, right into my face. 
And Mark's definition of a liquid fast is if it fits in a blender, it's legal. He's like throwing steaks in there and potatoes and he's like broke four or five blenders trying to get that stuff blended up so he could. I remember when Hope and I first got married. You see, my, my definition of praying, the right way to pray was the Lord's Prayer, because that's the prayer that Jesus prayed. And when you pray, man, you need to go for it. And I could not wait to get married, and my wife and I had to pray for the first time, man. It was awesome. So we're in our home, just Hope and I, just newly married. I got strapped my guitar on. I closed my eyes. I was like, let's go. And, man, I was banging that guitar. I was worshiping. I was praying. I was praying. I was praying and shouting. And I was praying the Lord's Prayer, going down through the seven points of the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going for it. And after a little while, I realized I don't hear her partnering. My helpmate is not helping me at all. And I, I finally opened up one eye just to see what she was doing, and she's sitting on the bed like this. I'm like, it's not time to meditate. It's time to intercede. Come on. Let's be on fire. And I finally was so irritated that I was doing all the heavy lifting. I finally stopped, and I said, what are you doing? She said, you're praying so loud, it's hurting my head. <laughs> I was like, well, let me teach you how to pray. Yeah, that worked. I'm an extrovert. She's an introvert. We worship differently. We pray differently. My idea of having fun is bungee jumping. Her idea of having fun is researching something. <laughs> My idea of a family movie night is a bang em up, shoot em up. Her idea of a family movie night is a documentary. Oh, well you, have, you have one supporter. The rest belong to me. And finally, number three, how do we stay unified? Remember that God is the judge. Everybody say that out loud. God is the judge. And then say, not me. Let's, let's see this in uh, uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 10 through 12, which we read. We're going to read it again. Romans 14, 10 through 12. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account to himself. Now, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. And I'm going to bring this to a close very quickly. I'm going to do this last little chunk. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. Look what Jesus says. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. It's a boomerang. It's a spiritual law. When you judge somebody else, you're going to be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the plank, for the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. You ever, you ever see those, uh, some of the slapstick comedy from long ago, you know, like a, somebody has a ladder on their shoulder, you see it, I mean, this never dies. Somebody has something on their shoulder, right, like a long ladder, and they're going to turn around, 
right? And there's people standing by, so one ducks and the other one gets clocked like that. That's what it's like when you and I walk around self-righteously. My spirituality is intact. I pray, I fast, you don't. Here, let me help you. And we look down on each other with the spirit, spirit, the spiritual uh, superiority. That's like carrying not a ladder on your shoulder, but a pole in your eye, and you're walking around trying to help people, you're just batting people in the head, in the heart, with this spiritual pride rod. You see, the process of recognizing spiritual pride, humbling ourselves before God, and saying, "Oh my." Gosh, please forgive me for thinking I'm better than my brother or sister because I drink a glass of wine, but they don't think they can. Or whatever produces the spiritual pride in us. The process of recognizing it and confessing it and humbling ourselves is getting the plank out of the eye. Then we come with a motivation of love. Saying, hey, look, I used to be caught in sin too. I used to have that struggle or a different kind of struggle. But look, I want to I partner with you. I, that's what's speaking the truth in love that we may grow up. This is what Jesus is talking about. He tells us not to condemn one another. He does tell us, though, that we are to, and this is really important. He does tell us, though, this is interesting, that we are to judge. But it's a different kind of judgment. Look at this scripture in 1 Corinthians. Dare any of you have a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints, you and I, will judge the world? And if the world be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more the things that pertain to this life? If you then have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church, which is the secular court system, to judge? I say this to your shame. It is, is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brothers? Look what the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel. And they, the priest, the leader, spiritual leader, shall teach my people the difference. That's the word judgment there. The discerning between two things. The difference between the holy and the unholy. The cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. In controversy, they shall stand as judges and judge it according to my judgments. So what we are to judge, we're supposed to be fruit inspectors. We're supposed to be able to judge between good fruit and bad fruit. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits. We're supposed to be able to say that's clean, that's unclean. That's holy, that's unholy. Not so that we can condemn one another, but simply so that we can have definition of what walking with Christ should look like. Then we will be able to help one another. So how do we help one another partner with God? Because God says in Romans 14, 4, Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. I'm going to close with this. God is able to make your brother and sister stand. I just want to say that if God's goal is to help our brothers and sisters stand, it better be our goal too. Not to tear one another down, because that means we're fighting against God's purpose in that person's life. Which means we're fighting against God. Our goal should be encouragers, not criticizers. Lovers, not judgers. 
So we've got to rightly discern our personal preferences, our personal convictions, our personal opinions, and our feelings on a matter from is this a biblical absolute or a biblical command? If not, leave the brother alone. Amen? So how do we help one another partner like the special needs athletes, which we are spiritually, help each other cross the finish line. He gives us a few instructions here. I'm going to read these and we're going to pray. Do not put a stumbling block in your brother or your sister's way. We read that. If your liberty, liberty causes someone to stumble or be offended or confuses them, don't demand your own rights your own ways. Care more about the spiritual well-being of the weaker brother or sister than your own rights in your own ways. It's much easier for the strong to give up than for the weak to grow up. Growing up spiritually takes time. You've got to work through issues. They're debatable matters, it says in verse 1. Gosh, I don't know if this is acceptable or not to God. I'm just not sure. It takes a while to process these things. It's easier for the stronger to give up something than for the weak to grow up. Number two, avoid divisive questions over non-essentials. The word doubtful means inward reasoning, questioning, considering, deliberating, turning thoughts over in the mind. And number three, boy, this is big. I alluded to this earlier with my wife and my different prayer modes. Don't try to change one another. And I'm going to tell you, leading up to the marriage retreat, which is full, which is awesome, this right here is a truth that will save your marriage. At one point in your marriage, you got to leave each other alone. My wife is not going to change me. After 22 years, I think she has come to that realization, and I am not going to change her. It's just not going to happen. She is who God made her to be. I am who God made me to be. And trying to change one another into our image is a massive mistake. Nor are we to try to change one another into the image that we think is the right kind of Christian. So, I want to close with these three questions I want you to ask yourself. Number one, where have you been judging others? So I want us to close our eyes right now, and let's come to the Holy Spirit. Come to the Holy Spirit and ask this question to Him. Say, Holy Spirit, where have I been judging others? Now just be quiet and listen. Let Him bring something up in your heart. Okay, now as he brings up areas in your life where you have been stomping in other people's gardens and telling them how to grow their roses just right, repent. Right now, just confess it to the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, forgive me. I am not their judge. Forgive me of this sin of self-righteous judgment. Tell them, say, forgive me for defining other people's Christianity. Here's the next question. You just have your eyes closed and take this to the Holy Spirit with you. Do you find the things that you major on that are actually personal convictions? creating more unity or disunity 
in the church and those around you? I'll ask it again. Do you find the things that you major on, which are personal convictions, creating more unity or disunity with those around you? Right now, why don't you ask the Lord? Ask Him this. Say, Lord, teach me the difference between my personal convictions and your biblical commands. Come on, church, ask Him that. So our house can remain unified. Teach me the difference, Lord, between my personal convictions and your biblical commands. I want to say something here before I ask you the last question to go to the Holy Spirit with. If you find, and this is, this is what Paul was talking about, which others not of faith is sin. If you have a brother or sister who has freedom in a certain area that you don't have in your conscience, it really, really bothers you, but you decide to do it either to prove that you're not weak or because you're leaning on their freedom, but you don't have that freedom, that is sinning against your own conscience. And you can't do that. You need to be comfortable with what you believe the Lord has revealed to you and live in that space until maybe the Lord shows you something else. You can't cross your own conscience. And we are to all receive one another where we are in our spiritual walks. And the last question I'm going to ask you. Do you think you can disagree with people about things that are not biblical absolutes and still get along with them. I'm going to ask that again. Do you think you can disagree with people about things that are not biblical absolutes and still get along with them? If the answer is yes, ask the Lord to expand that in you. If the answer was no, I really struggle with that, ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you to receive one another and not debate over disputable matters. Lord, thank you for the peace in this spiritual house. I pray for every home represented here. Wives and husbands that just are not in the same place spiritually and the one who is seemingly more spiritually down the road a little ways, turning around and trying to drag their spouse to a spiritual level they just aren't at. Lord, help them. Just be on their knees and pray for their spouse and love them and receive them right where they are. We pray this with parents and children, children to children, siblings. We pray this among the churches and other Christians we run into that have a different church culture and maybe different theology than we have. Lord, may we be people who receive one another the same way you received us, unconditionally. In Jesus' name. Amen? And that's Romans 14.